Hey, welcome. We have another amazing episode planned today with one of my favorite members of the Breathe Free family. So let's get right to it. Welcome to the Breathe Free podcast, where we get to know the people of Breathe Free. So strap in as we talk to the nation's top healthcare providers, support staff, and operations managers. So wherever you are, whatever you're doing, take a moment and let's breathe free. This is the Breathe Free Podcast with your host, Matt Gannam. Welcome back to another episode of the Breathe Free, Breathe Free Podcast, where we get to know the people of Breathe Free. I'm your host, Matt Gannam. Before I introduce today's guest, make sure you give us a follow on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you choose to listen to podcasts. Also, please be sure to leave us a review to let us know what you think about the content. And now, on the show today, Dr. Mariah Pate founder and medical director of our Tampa Bay Breathe Free Clinic. We're so lucky to have her as her energy and desire for exceptional patient care radiates through her clinic on a daily basis. And I'm confident that you will feel that on today's episode. Welcome to the show, Dr. Pate. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm super excited to have you. It's, uh, I think everyone's going to get a great opportunity to see your energy and, and how much you, know, you really care about what, what, what you're doing on a daily basis. And I'm interested and excited for everyone to see it. Awesome. So, Happy to be here. Um, yeah, what's, oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, and thank you for jumping on at the end of your busy clinic day. I know it's not, it's not easy to do this when you probably have a lot of things to do. So everyone appreciates you taking your time. Um, what, what initially piqued your curiosity about wanting to join, potentially join Breathe Free? So in my previous practice, I was, um, I'm a general ENT and I was focusing on minimally invasive sinus procedures. And um, I just think that they're so effective for people and I really was enjoying doing it. But um, I was having difficulty, um, you know, putting that into my day to day and making it um, successful and manageable for me and for patients because, um, you know, these procedures, they're wonderful, but they do come with a specific set of needs and not only just in the office and the equipment, but also the billing and all of that. So, you know, I was finding myself doing everything I didn't have like a dedicated support staff. So I was feeling somewhat burnout because I was trying to provide this for patients, but I wasn't able to do it because it was just, it was, it was too much. And so I, when we started talking about this, I was really excited because it um, really seemed like a good fit because it allowed me to do these procedures um, and, you know, have a pretty easy time doing it, being able to do as, you know, quite a few a day. So it wasn't such a burden, um, but also not stress about some of the administrative stuff that really um, was worrisome um, to most physicians. Um, I don't know how people are, you know, single providers these days. I mean, the amount of work that goes into running your own clinic without help is just it's insurmountable for a lot of people. Um, so I was really excited because I just saw the model seemed to work really great. And I was just really interested because it seemed like I could be my best person, best surgeon um, with the help of Breathe Free to allow me to give the best care to patients. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I remember when Mark initially called and, and talked to me about you, that he, he just said that it was super, your, it, was your, it was your interest. You, you thought the procedures worked well, your patients responded so favorably. But of course, being in a bigger group, you know, there's there's some different challenges presented and things like that. So, um, I mean, obviously, what our goal is is to provide the infrastructure, hire the staff, you know, uh, make sure that that procedures are authorized and that patients have, uh, you know, active insurance and benefits and things like that in a timely manner, and it just allows you to do what you do best and what only you can do. There's so few folks 
in the country that can do what you can do. Um, and obviously all the medical, you know, decision-making and things like that are, 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 are your own. You, you do what you would normally do, except for now you're in a, an environment where we can enable more availability and, 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 and more, I guess, um, I want to say more access to patient care, more, you more access to help patients. So, um, is that sort of kind of what you thought it would be or how, how did it compare to, you know, what you thought it would be going into the well, first conversation we had? Yeah. So, I mean, when you are in a, you know, coming out, I was, this was, I was only with one other practice before and um, it was a very well-run practice. It was a big practice. My practice was thriving. Um, You know, a lot of those boxes were checked, um, but I just, you know, really wanted to provide this for patients and I was struggling. And so when I, when we talked at that first dinner, like I was like, wow, this just seems so simple. Like I was very skeptical because I was like, you know, medicine is hard these days, you know, like it's difficult to, you know, have a good, li- like good lifestyle, good work-life balance to make good money, to, to help a lot of patients to not be burnt out. And like, you know, what you were presenting just seemed like it, it wasn't, you know, possible for a lot of people being able to like, you know, come to work, do what you love, you know, encourage patients and your staff, um, help people have good outcomes and then, you know, have a, you know, time to go home and be with your family. And so I definitely did my due diligence. Um, you know, I talked to a lot of people. Um, I talked to a lot of the other physicians in Breathe Free to really see. And everyone I spoke to just had the same enthusiasm. And I, I was just excited because I was looking for something like that. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. And I remember that, that dinner seems like it was 10 years ago. Um, yeah. <laughs> got to meet your husband. Who's a, who's a super nice guy. Um, what was, what were his thoughts after, after the initial meeting, you know, you guys get in the car and go home. What, what is he, what are the, what are his thoughts? You want the truth, huh? Of course I do. <laughs> it was kind of the same thing. Like, you know, like you're very successful. Like, of course they want you, like, you know, they um, know that you're going to be great. And, you know, cause you're very skeptical because, you know, um, people do try, try to take advantage of you. Um, in business and in medicine and like, you know, being a new, new, a younger doctor, you know, I, I think that, you know, some of, some people can take advantage of you. And so you have to be really careful, but I think that's why I did so much due diligence because I was, um, you know, just, I wanted to make the right decision. And I think it took, I mean, I was, gosh, I thought about it for months, (laughs) which in hindsight, I wish I would have just like, you know, taken the leap because it's been so awesome. Um, but it was good because I, I didn't look back. Like I was, you know, I was ready to go. So that was, that was a good feeling. I was very confident in what we were doing. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a completely logical, you know, conclusion to come to, to come to, especially obviously if you don't, you know, you know, you knew Mark, but you know, you didn't know me, you didn't know sort of what we were doing. It was just an initial conversation. And a lot of the times people tell us that, whether it's an initial conversation, even still now to this day, when it's a little bit more proven and there's a lot more folks that you can talk to who say, Hey, you still get to practice however you want. You're just doing different types of things. When you're practicing, you're doing mostly sinonasal um, evaluations and, and procedures and things like that. And you're not having to deal with the administration or billing or, you know, the, the front desk person called out and your office manager is late. So what do you do? You're not having to do that. And that's, and that's our job is to enable you to spend time doing only what you can do, which is, you know, giving exceptional patient care. Um, and, and so we, we, we do hear that people say it's too good to be true. How could you possibly do this? Like, why, you know, why wouldn't anyone do this? It doesn't seem to, to be that you'll be able to be in a situation like that. So I appreciate the honesty. I mean, I, yeah. I, I, knew, you, I knew you would give it to me. 
I know, um, I know. You know I will. <laughs> so so now that we've been open for, I mean, it's give or take a little bit, it's about a year, right? Almost a year. Yeah, our anniversary is coming up middle October. Um, I cannot believe it. It's been the longest and shortest year of my life. <laughs> it's it's so crazy how fast these things go. I mean, the yeah. the the, the, the um, five year anniversary for DC is October eighteenth. That's awesome. I think ours is like the eighteenth or nineteenth, so it's around yeah. the same time. That's really cool. Yeah. Well, good. It, good it is cool. Here. Yeah, it is cool. Um, now, so now that we've been doing this a year, um, you've been doing this a year. Um, what what is your husband's thoughts now, or what is your family's thoughts now that that in retrospect, and and you know what, how do they feel about when you come home every day? What what is the feedback you're getting? Yeah, so we talk about this a lot because obviously this is like you know my baby. This is you know something I put my heart and soul into, and so um, I think immediately my family, my parents, my husband, they saw like how enthusiastic I was. Um, I just had a different air about myself. I you know they could just tell that I was happier. Um, you know, the hours are about this, you know, about the same, maybe a little bit less, but I just feel like they're not as long and not as tedious, um, for me personally. And so for me, like, because I'm not worried about the admin stuff, like all the billing and like all the hiring and the firing and all that, you know, all that stuff that happens, I'm able to go home after I'm done, you know, taking care of my patients, I'm able to be present for my family. Um, so I think that they've noticed that, um, which has been great. And, um, I just love being able to bring my kids to the office and like meet everyone and be around us. Cause we have such an awesome energy at the office that like, it's infectious. And so like, I'm really proud for them to see that. Yeah. I mean, you guys do have a great culture there. I mean, obviously your, 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 your APP crew is, is one of my favorites. I mean, they're, they're, they're a blast, but they also, you can tell how much they care about, you know, what it is that you guys do on a daily basis. They're a lot of fun. So, I mean, I'm sure it's a great environment. And obviously, you know, you and your husband are fun too. So I think it's, it's, it's probably a lot, it's probably pretty special, I should say. Yeah, we have such a great crew here. It's really, it's really awesome. And so that's been cool too, because it's just, you know, being able to have fun at work, but also work hard and, and support each other. It's just, um, it's what you want in a work environment. And so I'm just really happy we've been able to create it. So it's been great. Yeah, there's a lot of um, folks probably around the country that are in non-breathe free ENT clinics, and maybe they don't really understand what it is we do or how we do it. But the most important thing is finding great people and keeping them if we can. And, you know, that I think that separates a lot, like all the things that you're saying are centered around the folks that are there and, and, and how they're enabling this process that allows you to help so many people. Um, and that's that's something that lacks and in, in, in the hardest thing to do in any in any business it doesn't have to be in medicine is to find great people. And so, so true. So, yeah, true. so it's, I'm glad that I'm glad that you're experiencing that because it, it, it's it's paramount and that's it, it works because the people the people make it work and obviously you know you and your APP providers are paramount right because there's you know four folks that can you know really engage with patients in the clinic but at the same time um, you know the, the, if I call up and I'm a new patient and I have questions like is the person going to be friendly to me are they going to you know be flexible if I say hey I work till you know, four every day. Is there a way I can come in at four thirty one day? Is somebody can somebody see me or whatever it is? And we're going to say, of course, we have to figure it out because you know that's what we do. So, um, did anything surprise you in the first few months or even over the first year? Like something different or something that you just didn't really consider? So, I think what surprised me the most was 
the community that came with us. Um, you know, when you go out on your own, um, even though, you know, we're, you know, working through this together, you know, you, I expected to kind of be on my own little island, you know, and just do my thing and have my staff and, you know, it's great. But, you know, the community that um, I found like among the other providers and physicians in within the company at the other clinics has been awesome because um, it's just really great to have that, you know, sounding board to be able to talk about these procedures because, you know, a lot of ENTs don't do these procedures and the ones that do, they don't do a lot of them. And so it's, it's great to talk to people that actually know what they're, you know, doing and like, you know, we're able to share information and not only that, just, you know, the attitude that everyone has that I've met who, who are also physicians, like they all just have like very like loving, kind hearts, hardworking, like love what they do, positive attitude. And so that's been amazing, like that community that we have and, you know, the meetings like that we have, I think that's really special because it allows us to all get together and, you know, just have fun and also just realize like that there are people in medicine and providers and physicians that love what they do and work hard and have fun and like have a positive attitude. And it doesn't have to be, you know, all sad and depressing in medicine, you know, like you can have a fun time and take care of patients and, you know, do a good job. So that's been surprising for me. That's, um, that's been nice. Yeah. I mean, it, it, trying to, trying to build a culture, um, around, you know, getting folks to be excited about going to work and, and getting folks to look forward to things and, and whether it's, you know, we're going to come out with a cadence of communication, maybe where we have, you know, quarterly or something like that meetings with all the APPs, of course, will be via zoom based on how widespread out we are, but yeah. just, just even more of that and just co collaboration, right? Because maybe, you know, you see something that you haven't seen in a long time or you're, you're one of your APPs that uh, did, and they want to see, you know, how, how you would handle it or how another, you know, PA or NP would handle it or how another doctor would handle it. So it's just nice to be able to have that community of folks that, that are doing what you're doing every single day. Um, even if it's in different parts of the country. Um, and I was going to ask you about the meeting. So now that we're, we're on that topic, um, were there, are there any suggestions you would have anything you would do differently? Um, you know, cause we're in the process of planning the next one. So I want to, you know, we still have some flexibility there. So I've been to two meetings so far. The first one we had not yet opened the second, we have been open for, I guess, eight months. Um, both were great. Um, for me, like having that community, it was really fun. I loved some of the um, inspirational and motivational key, uh, pieces that we did. That was really great. And then one thing that was really wonderful is the community service um, portion, because that is near and dear to my heart. And I think that having that um, ability to give back to the community is really good to bring camaraderie. Um, I guess for me, you know, we do some like, you know, off the top, off, you know, out of session, like talking about things, but, you know, having the providers meet or the physicians meet to, um, go through like best practices and stuff. That would be my big thing. Because I think that, you know, throughout my week, like every case is so different that, you know, sometimes you're, you know, trying things and doing things and that they just work so well and you just want to share it because it's, it makes things so much easier. And I know that I've learned so many pearls from the other physicians, um, just things that they do that I've implemented that has been really great. So it just makes you more efficient. So that's the one thing I would add, but overall it's, I think it's the perfect mix of fun and learning. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. I'll, I'll, I got put that on the list. We did do, and you, you probably know this from, from Katie or Victoria, but we did do last year for the first time, we brought the APPs in a day early and did a, like a whole day on, you know, just whatever topics they wrote in that they wanted, 
whether it's more information or clarity or how you would handle this. And we had obviously some experienced APPs in the room. And I think we had four or five doctors that were, that were there just to answer questions or see how they would use something or what was your you know, philosophy. I mean, we went through case studies from, from patients, like, you know, whether it's a, here's an audiogram that looks like this, you know, I've never really seen this, you know, this type of result. How would we handle that? What is the, you know, the next steps and things like that. So I think that was super impactful. Um, so that was good. So I could see totally why the doctor portion of is that are maybe, maybe creating even an optional session where, Hey, you know, we're done at, you know, noon or one today. If you want to spend the next hour or two, we have this room, you guys can use it. You can, whatever it might be. So. Oh, and you know, everyone eat that up. <laughs> everyone yeah. <would> probably stay. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, it, it's so cool though. It's so cool. Um, how, how excited everyone gets. And obviously, you know, when you're, when, when, when you're doing sinonasal procedures, you know, not all the time, but most of the time, I mean, you're, you're going to run into things that are a little, you know, different that you haven't seen in a while. So obviously the technique, whether it's a technique piece or whether it's an anesthesia piece or whether it's, you know, or is there a tool that I don't have that I haven't heard of yet? Because I mean, obviously each time we start with a clinic or at least back when I used to go to the clinics. So I know you're probably going to yell at me because I haven't, haven't been I to know. Tampa you yet. need to come to Tampa. I know I want to come to Tampa. I know it's been a year. I, I got to get out there. Also, I, I like Tampa um, and I, yeah. I do want to come see, but I remember in the beginning when I used to, you know, we used to partner with different offices and I was, I was actually involved in the clinic, which I think it's probably been a year and a half really since I've been in the clinic for more than a half a day. Um, I used to just be interested to see what people had, like, you know, just to learn a little bit about, cause each, you know, everybody has their preferences, especially the practice has been open for a long time. They have all different kinds of interesting, unique tools to like deal with like a, uh, um, an inferior maxillary cyst. I've seen all kinds of weird little things that people have kind of created to reach down that far and stuff. So stuff like that always interests me. So I'm sure you guys could chat about that. Um, did you, um, consider any other specialties besides ENT or was ENT one that you kind of, you know, thought was what you wanted to do? So I knew within the first year that I wanted to be a surgeon, like I love working with my hands. I love procedural things, but I also like love dealing with patients and having that interaction and that continuity of care. So I did consider a lot of surgical specialties. I actually really, my second choice is OBGYN, which is kind of crazy now because I can't imagine doing that. I love delivering babies. I love like that kind of joy patients had. I love the mix of like stuff in the office, stuff in the um, operating room. Um, I think a C-section is a really cool procedure. So, um, but for me, like I was between the two and um, once I sh did one of my away rotations at Vanderbilt, and I just remember that month so vividly, like just all the amazing procedures. And I think like, I mean, I was pretty set on at that point, but I remember like, you know, a couple of cases in particular that were so impactful. Like, you know, there's a procedure where um, the patient's actually awake. So I guess I like awake patients. <laughs> and um, with their, when their voice box is out, you know, their vocal cords not working, um, you actually do a surgery where you go through the neck and put an implant in. And so the patient's awake so you can gauge where to put the implant. And so it's amazing. They're super hoarse at the beginning of the procedure. You open the neck, put in the implant, and their voice is like perfectly clear. And it's, they can move it and they can change like the pitch. And I was like, gosh, this is so cool. And so I just remember and just everything I saw, I mean, the, the technical work with the sinuses and the ears and everything, like it was just so interesting to me. And it was like, it was once I figured it out, like I was like, yeah, this is it. I, I, I love it. And I, I haven't looked back. Like it's one of my favorite things I've ever done is being an ENT. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. Um, and, and, and I guess, I don't know if you expected me to ask this because obviously I sent you a couple of the questions that I might ask, but I'm going to ask a little bit about your story because I know it's probably a unique one to maybe any physician and how you, yeah. and how you ended up, 
you know, where you, where you are. And so if you could tell us a little bit about sort of your path to, to where you're at. Yeah. So I, um, went to the university of Florida for undergrad, go Gators. And I, was I, <laughs> I was, I was considering pre-med. I've always wanted to be a doctor. Um, I had a good friend who was a uh, surgery resident at the time, actually at UF and, um, just really just was like, you know, in the thick of it and like really talked me out of being a physician. I was like, okay. So I was like, okay, well, I'll look at other things. And so I ended up, um, uh, majoring in business and advertising and went into pharmaceutical sales um, for a small company called Pfizer. Just kidding. <laughs> and um, I was all excited because I was like, okay, good. I'm going to do business and I'm going to do medicine and this is going to be awesome. Um, and then within like six months after being around physicians, I was just like, you know what? I really think I'm like, um, I need to do more. Like, I feel like I need to be a physician. Like I want to be a doctor. I started asking like almost all the doctors I called on, should I be a doctor? And they're like, no, <laughs> you're, you have a great <laughs> job. You have a great schedule. And it's funny because like the only doctors that actually like encouraged me were ENTs, which in, in hindsight, I think that's kind of funny because they, you know, they were all pretty happy. And I think there was one allergist that said something too. So um, I decided um, I was thinking about it for a little bit. And then, you know, it was one night I just kind of woke up and I was like, okay, I need to do this. And so the next day I enrolled and because I was not a science undergrad, I had to go back and do like, I think like 28 hours of undergrad courses. Um, so I was doing that while working full time and, you know, people that have done those types of courses understand there's like labs and, you know, it's, it's crazy. So, you know, medical school and residency were hard, but I would say that doing two things at once was probably you know, one of the harder things I've done. Um, but I did great. I got into medical school and um, I was in Tennessee at the point at, at that point, actually. So I was at East Tennessee State University. So I went to Quillen College of Medicine. I loved it. I had my um, first child, um, Bryce, when I was a um, fourth year medical student. And then I matched an ENT, which was incredible because, you know, it's a very competitive specialty and to achieve something like that and being a non-traditional student, um, was so exciting for me. Like I just couldn't believe it. And so then we moved to Augusta, Georgia. Um, I, um, was a resident there for five years. So it's four years of medical school, five years of residency. And um, during that time period, I realized that I enjoyed mo almost all of ENT, so I decided to be a generalist. Um, and I loved residency. It was it's super hard. I mean, like it's it's very challenging. Um, you know, you're working 80 plus hours a week. Um, you're in the OR for 12 plus hours a day. You're on call every couple nights. I mean, it's it's a lot. Um, but I feel like I was very well trained. We had a great program. It's a smaller program, so the amount of like on hands-on experience was awesome. Like I operated a lot. And so I felt very, very prepared um, when I went into um, practice. And um, there were a couple of things that, you know, I, I feel like I really excelled at. And one of them was sinus surgery. Um, my attending, Dr. Kentakis, is, he's like, you know, very well known and he's an excellent teacher. Um, he, you know, really gave me the basics of functional endoscopic sinus surgery and, you know, really taught me the anatomy well. So I feel very comfortable in the sinuses, um, which is great because, you know, there are important structures around there and you have to know what you're doing because there can be some serious issues if you, you know, do the wrong thing. So, so that's my story. I kind of went off on a tangent there. So, <laughs> no, I know it's great. I, I, lo I yeah. love that story. I've, I've heard a lot of stories about how people became to, you know, whether it's doctor or PA or could be, you know, anything in my old, in, in my past. And that's just one of the most unique ones. So, you know, I, I, I wanted you to share that with everyone. Um, you mentioned your first son. 
Tell us a little bit about your family. So um, I am married to Gus and I have two boys. Um, Bryce is 11 and Griffin is eight. So they're in sixth and third grade. I cannot believe it. I feel it's just wild to me. Um, so Bryce, um, he just started flag football or not flag football, tackle football this year. Um, and uh -oh. he's just loved it. It's been really fun. I mean, obviously every game I'm so nervous, like the last game, someone got taken off the field in a stretcher, not him, but, and I was like, what are we doing? <laughs> but you know, it's really fun to see him like be so enthusiastic about something and he's really good. He's really fast. He's got a lot of, you know, intensity and, and, and grit. Um, but this is like the first thing that he's really like, like latched onto, like, and so that's been really fun to see his passion because, you know, to me, like I'm very passionate about my job and like my family and kind of everything I do. So, you know, it just makes me happy to see him, you know, find something that he loves and, his coach is awesome. He teaches him a lot of really cool, like, you know, life lessons. Like I, you know, I feel, feel like he's grown up so much in the last few months. Like it's been really cool to see. And then Griffin, he's in third grade. Um, it's funny. Cause when he was born, he was like the quiet one and he was like such a quiet baby. And I was like, Oh, we're gonna have this nice quiet child. And he's, he's such a, Oh, he's wide open. <laughs> he's awesome. the daredevil. He's the one that always gets hurt. He's the one that is always, you know, joking hanging out with the older girls. Like, I mean, yeah, I'm in trouble for him, but he is just so sweet. And he's still such like a mama's boy. Like I just love his hugs um, when he's not around his friends, of course, but he's very active and he is um, very enthusiastic about a lot of stuff too. So it's, it's really fun to have them at the age where I can see them and starting to enjoy things and love things because I want that for them. I want them to whatever they do, enjoy, you know, like, and be able to like find, you know, contentment in it because I don't know these days we just push people so hard to get perfect grades and do all this stuff but at the end of the day if you're not liking what you're doing you're going to burn out and not be happy that's true that's that's really um yeah you're, you're spot on and thank you for sharing uh, what, do, what do you guys do when you're not working I know a little bit about it obviously but um you know what are, what are some of the favorite things to do for the family so uh, in Tampa Bay, there's water everywhere. It's amazing. We live actually live in St. Pete. So um, we're on the bay, um, you know, we're near the bay at least. And so there's a lot of water things to do. So we love being in the water. We love boating, love going to the beach, um, just love being outside. Like St. Pete and Tampa are very active cities. So you're always going to find us, you know, out doing something, walking, doing something active. Um, we also love to travel, whether it's near or far. It's just fun to get away and experience that, especially with the kids. Um, and then, you know, I like to hang with friends, cook, um, just be active and exercise. Those are some things I enjoy. I'm trying to read again, but, you know, it's hard with, you know, time constraints, but I do love to read as well. Okay. Um, what, what, what motivates you? I mean, obviously, you know, you're, you're super motivated. You were, you know, pre-med, you were ready to be a doctor. You got talked out of it. And then you said, Hey, you know what? I need to, this is, this is still my calling. I, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, go back and work full time and be in school, which I did for three years, getting my visit, uh, MBA at night. I mean, honestly, that's hard. I mean, yeah, I was, I was a, 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 a sales rep at the time too. So you're talking 40, 50 hours a week, you know, maybe a little more. And now you're in class from, you know, five o'clock to 10 PM if you have two that night. So it's, it's hard. And then obviously there's, you know, whether you had labs or homework papers, whatever it is. So, um, what, mo what, what just intrinsically is motivating you to continue to, well, to do that and then to continue to push forward. 
Yeah, sometimes people joke with me like, okay, you've done this, like, you can just stop pushing or, <laughs> but for me, it's not like trying to, it's, it's not a financial goal for me. I mean, finances are, are you know, always a bonus, but um, for me, what motivates me is my family. Um, and, you know, now like having, being a role model to my children, um, you know, having them see me work hard. I think um, in medicine specifically, like helping people is such a motivator, like day to day, like today, <laughs> I had this guy, he was so sweet, probably in his seventies. And um, he's been dealing with nasal congestion, snoring, headaches for like, I don't know, probably 40, 50 years, who knows, you know, these people come in and you're like, how are you living like this? And we're in the middle of the procedure and I had finished the ethmoidectomy. And so I was about to do the ears and he's like, oh my God, this is what it's like. And he's like, I can breathe. <laughs> and he, was like, <laughs> he was like literally starting to cry. And I was like, wow. And he's like, yeah. He's like, I don't know if it's the drugs or what. He's like, but I can't believe this. And he was just so excited. And so long story short, I mean, we get that feedback all day. Like people that, you know, have just been struggling for years and they have been to so many doctors and no one helped them. And then here they are. And it's just like, that's, that's so motivating in itself. And then also just, you know, now that like we have this amazing culture within the office, like especially as like a female physician, like it's it's motivating to be a role model. I, I never thought I'd be in this place. But as I get older, I see that like I have a lot of people looking up to me and that's like really, really awesome. And I just I want to show them that like you can, you know, be successful. You can um, work hard. You can have a family. You can have fun. You can take good care of patients and you can do it all. It's not easy, but it's possible. And you can also continue to have a good attitude because I feel like a lot of times, especially doctors and people in healthcare, get so bogged down by so much stuff and they just lose that like spark, you know, like they, it just, they get beat down. Like I literally had one of my attendings say at the end of residency, I, I can't believe that you made it through without being grumpy. <laughs> <laughs> Which is so funny, you know, because like, and then they want you to, they want to like put that fear in you, but it's like, it's true because like you are tired, you are beat down, you are like, you know, they, they're tough on you. Um, but I don't know. I just, um, I think that those are the things that motivate me. So. Okay. Yeah. Um, if you could, you know, let's fast forward, you're dropping your oldest son off at college and in, in a, you know, few He's years here. Cry. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I don't know. Uh, I don't. I don't think you'll cry. Um, but you know, if, if we're there, I'll make sure I get to. I'll get to that later. Um, <laughs> what, what do you? What do you envision yourself telling him? You know, he's going he's going to live by himself for the first time. Obviously, you know what that looks like. Especially going to Gainesville, there's a lot of distractions available. You know, um, I, yes. I I went through it too, of course. What kind of advice? What, what are you telling him? It's like you got five minutes left before he's going to kick you out. Well, I would really just encourage him to you know, follow his heart. You know, I think that listening to your gut and trusting yourself is so important. Um, I think sometimes, especially when you're younger, like you doubt yourself that you're not good enough or you don't know enough. And sometimes you don't take chances or do things because you don't have the confidence in yourself. So I would just tell him to trust himself. Um, and then, you know, be kind to people. I think at the end of the day, like, if you're kind to people, like it's all going to work out. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know, like whether it's the, your roommate or a teacher or someone on the side of the road, like you never know what's going on in someone's life. And I think if you're kind, it, it just, you know, it's the easiest thing to do. And then just being honest. Um, I think being honest is really important and being honest when no one's looking, 
because nowadays, like there, especially with and how complex society is, there's so many ways to, you know, get in trouble and, you know, do the wrong thing. And if you know, you're not going to get in trouble, like what's some people are like, well, what's the point of me doing it if, you know, but I think, you know, they always say that like character and is like doing something right when someone, when other people aren't looking. And um, I think that's huge. And I, I hope that I'm teaching my children this. It's hard. Being a parent is really hard. Um, but I would say just trusting yourself, being kind and, you know, always doing the right thing. Yeah, um, we actually, I appreciate that. We actually talk about that in the episode that's about to come out. Um, just, just, you know, if you want to be, if you're, if you're trying to, we were talking something about if you're trying to like move, move forward. And he was asking me some advice for, for, for younger people. And one of the things I said is do what you're, do, do what you're supposed to do, whether your boss is there or not, or whether, you know, anyone's watching and something else came up in it later. And I was like, well, whatever your parents would want you to do in that situation, just do it and you'll probably be fine. You know what I mean? So um, it's so true though. And, and, and to your point, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of ways that, that, that things could come out. So if you're just, if you're just genuinely doing the right thing, you know, you have a great opportunity for everything to work out. Um, yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah. I was going to say, when I was in um, residency, there was like, I had a, when it was my intern year, there was a chief resident. He was cool. His name was actually Hirschman, um, wore cowboy boots, tall guy. He was cool. And so when I'd ask him questions, he would say, well, is it, um, is it something that's going to be more difficult for you? Like as the doctor, like, is it going to take you more time or whatever? I'm like, yeah. He's like, well, that's probably the right thing to do because a lot of times the hard things are what needs to be done. So if you're thinking in your head, should I do this? And you have the inkling, then you should probably do it because it's the right thing to do. That, I think that's very well said. Um, so how long in total have you been doing office-based nasal procedures? So I definitely had an interest in these procedures in residency. Um, I can tell you as a second year, um, when we, I did my pediatric rotation, um, you know, I was doing these in the OR with um, the kiddos, you know, when we did adenoidectomies. Um, and so doing balloon sinuplasty in residency is a little more challenging because our training focuses on OR-based procedures doing functional endoscopic sinus surgery. But, you know, so I've been doing them since residency. I um, did them mostly in the operating room throughout residency, a lot at the VA. And so when I um, started my own practice, or when I, you know, came into practice after residency, um, I started doing them right away. Um, so it's been, I guess, six years since I did them um, in the office. Did, did you did you go to a site visit um, to, to see someone do it? Or did you, is, is that something that you just sort of kind of tried on your own? So when I was in residency, I did, I did, you know, do a couple site visits and I, you know, worked with some of my attendings and the reps. So um, I had some good support um, from the company that I was working with. I had a really great rep um, that helped me and yeah, really okay. like, gave me a lot of tips and everything. But, you know, I was on a lot of like the, the web webinars, like anything, any educational point, like, you know, but a lot of times, like, you know, you talk with the medical device reps because they are talking to all the people doing it. And so they give you tips and they talk to you about protocols and stuff. And so I just was like a sponge. Like I literally like learned as much as I could. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I can tell you between the first time I did it and now I am like 10,000 times better. And I will be honest about that. Um, just my technique. I mean, I think one of my, some of my first ones took me like an hour, <laughs> like that's a long time. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, but you have to start somewhere, you know? So, I mean, I didn't hurt the patient. Everything was fine. It just, I was slow. 
Um, but I think, you know, with learning the technique and doing it over and over and over, learning better anesthesia, like it's, it's, um, it's evolved into something where I feel very comfortable. I've seen two and a half hour office cases. So, um, <laughs> you know, so an hour is not patient. bad. An hour, what's that? That poor patient. That's a long time. Uh, well, and numbing yeah, does I mean, not last that long. <laughs> yeah. The, the medicine wasn't, medicine runs up, wears off. The anesthesia can start to run off or wear off. So. Yeah, it definitely gets interesting when it gets, you know, maybe at 90, maybe 90 minutes or a little after. Um, I guess, how long did it take you? And, and, well, I guess, let me take a step back. When you, when you first started doing these procedures, what were your thoughts on doing, doing a local, local-based septo, uh, septoplasty? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I was so <laughs> nervous. Honestly, I was like not, I was like, this is, how can you, how could you ever do that in the office? Like, I was just... I, I thought that wasn't even possible because septoplasty in the operating room is a totally different procedure than when you do in the office. The patient bleeds, they have splints in, they are in pain for a week. Like they, you are their least favorite person versus in the office where, you know, the recovery is quicker. There's not as much bleeding, not as much pain, but I was just like, this is a very like invasive operation. Like how are you going to do that under local? And so I actually did a site visit then, and I visited Michael Kaplan in Houston, and I spent um, a couple of days with him, and I saw his technique and what he was doing, got some pearls, and I was like, okay. I was like, it's doable. Um, and I was, you know, the first time I did it, I was obviously nervous, like, because you, you know, you hope you do your best, but it's literally the same thing I learned in residency. It's no different. I mean, obviously, you have to be aware that the patient's awake. You have to, you know, modify things. Obviously, your anesthesia technique's different. But, um, you know, I think when the new um, hires at the office come in and they watch me do a real septoplastic, they're just like kind of like blown away. They're like, whoa, is that patient OK? Like, are they and, and they really are. They're comfortable. You know, they are, um, you know, they don't feel anything. And, and the nice thing is that, you know, they're going to have a much quicker recovery and they don't have to go under anesthesia. I mean, like, I think that's a huge benefit for a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. So. You know, obviously, I've, there's been plenty of ENTs in, in my old life that would tell me that's impossible. Um, and I don't actually think I was a I was a rep for 18, 18 months, almost two years. And I, and I didn't see one local based and uh, local anesthesia septoplasty. I didn't see one. Um, so it, it's really cool how that's evolved, because obviously that opens up a different patient population segment that we could, you know, ha that they could have the same benefits in the office. Are you, is septoplasty something that you're performing on a daily basis generally, or is it something that you know, is it a couple times a week or, you know, how, how often well, do you? I probably say it's, um, sometimes it's daily. Sometimes it's a couple times a week. It depends on the patient mix. I mean, you know, usually when patients are evaluated, we really, you know, really interview them very extensively to see, you know, what side are you having more trouble on? Is there one side that is worse? How obstructed is like, we really like try to make sure that they're good candidates. And even those patients who may have a septal deviation, like, sometimes they don't really need a septoplasty necessarily to start with. So we counsel them, we talk to them, we go through all the details to see, you know, if they want to proceed with it or not. And so for those patients that do need it, um, you know, like I said, I'm probably doing it a few times a week and I do a couple different techniques. Like I'll do the more traditional approach with the incision um, with splints. Um, for some patients, I'll do an endoscopic septoplasty if there's a, a bulge or, you know, um, a deviation high. I'll do that with the, the scope um, and go in through the nose. And then there's some patients where I'll just do a spur removal where, you know, if they have a contact point or they have like a, a limited area of obstruction, I'll just lift up a little mucosal flap and just shave it down with a, with a um, 
uh, forcep and um, put a little dissolvable packing in there and it, it goes great. And those people do really well. And those people like their like post-op recovery is little, little difference between that and just, you know, the other things we, that I do with the balloon sinuplasty. So it's really nice because, you know, you, traditionally, if they went to a traditionally NT, they'd be like, okay, well, you need a, you need septoplasty, you need to go to sleep, you need to be off work for a week. You know, but in, in my office, like I'm able to say, okay, well, you know, we'll do this. You're going to be congested for, you know, quite a few days, but, you know, you can go to back, back to work in a few days, um, which I think is great for people, especially working people or people in school. Absolutely. Um, I would say maybe the last procedural question I'll ask you, or at least, and I mean, maybe another one will come up, but what is the biggest indirect or unexplained um benefit from doing office-based procedures. I mean, I've heard all types of different things and you have patients that'll probably tell you stuff that you're just like, I've heard that so many times now, but it doesn't really make sense. It's not in the literature. What, what do you think is the most like kind of, you know, um, I don't know, uh, benefit that, that you didn't expect? Um, I think for me, it's um, one part is the recovery compared to the operating room. And that's something I don't think I ever was taught in residency, but when you are not under general anesthesia and you're able to control your own blood pressure when you're awake, like we, like I do in the office, like the recovery is so much shorter than it would be if you did it while someone was asleep. Um, and that's been really great to see. Um, so that's one thing, um, as far as like patient feedback, I'm trying to think if there's anything crazy. I mean, I think the big thing I hear is like energy levels, um, sleep, and exercise like those are the three things that i think people don't realize and these are the people that come in that are like you know a high achieving business executive who works out all the time that like is just like grinding through and just like super you know overall good and they just you know realize that they're you know can do, can do better and then you know they have the procedure and then they just feel amazing like and it's like i just i think people are just so shocked like how bad they were feeling um, but I don't, I can't think of anything like weird that I, so I'll have to get back to on that one. No, you're good. It's just like, so I remember when, when, when I first started and, and we started to learn about, you know, these procedures started, um, to happen in the office, you know, 10 years ago or 12 years ago, you know, one of the things that everyone would always say is I'm really surprised that with such a minimally invasive technique, people would sleep better and have so much more energy, mm -hmm. just, 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 just so much more productive that they can be in a day and they just thought maybe I'm getting older. Maybe it's just how it is. You know what I mean? So it's, I think it's super cool to be able to see and impact people, even in a way that, which they didn't expect, because you're probably not going to tell everyone, Hey, you're going to sleep better. Right. We're not going to, you're probably not setting those expectations, but oh, it's yeah, a great definitely. byproduct, right? It's a great byproduct. That's really yeah. cool. I had a patient who's, you know, that I know and uh, socially, and she came up to me and she's like, could I be sleeping better because of this? And I was like, yeah. She's like, I just, she's like, and she has like a, like a young baby and everything. She's like, this is just crazy. It's just so, so cool. But it's awesome. Like, I mean, like, it's like, yeah, I did that for her. It's great. You know, it's just, I'm just so happy. It's just, it's the best. That's, that's really, really cool. Um, I, I love that. That's great. It's funny. We have um, our, uh, like one of the, the, the marketing, the folks that help us with our website and things like that, they, um, they had sent a patient in to see one of the offices here in Arizona. And, and they were like, you know, they didn't tell me. And, and afterwards they, they told me about it this past weekend at the Academy. And they were like, yeah, we sent this one of our contractors in and she's like, not the, I don't know, not, not super friendly. And like, he, he's like, so I know that if there was going to be bad feedback, we were going to get it from her. 
And she went in, you know, saw, saw one of our PAs, had a great experience and came back and was like, wow, that was really great. That was the best experience I've ever had in medicine. They spent so much time with me. They were so friendly. And I had this procedure coming up. And, you know, they say that I'll be able to breathe better. Fast forward, you know, to the, to the, I don't know, 10 days, two week post-op. And she's just like, yeah, this is incredible. It's everything they said it was going to be. And obviously we don't get that every time, but it's really yeah. nice, especially when you have someone that, you know, I don't know them, but that they knew that, that could, you know, potentially say, oh, this was frustrating or this took too long or whatever. And it was such a great, such great feedback, you know, so it's super exciting to be able to have that type of impact that you guys get to, you know, sort of create every day. Yeah, um, it really is great. What? Is there anything that's been on your mind recently or something that you've learned recently that you'd like to share with everyone? I know well, that you're, you know, <laughs> you're a reader and you haven't been reading as much, but you know, what, 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 what has been something that's kind of stuck out, jumped out at you in the last few months? Okay. Well, that actually is a good question. And I started reading a book. My, one of my PAs, Katie, she told me about this book a couple weeks ago. It's called breathe or breath, excuse me, not breath. breathe. Breath by James yep. Nestor. Mm -hmm. And I'm not all the way through it, but the first few chapters focus on this experiment that was done at Stanford where they actually like plugged the nasal cavity of patients, like healthy, healthy patients. And you're probably, you probably read this. I don't know, but uh, it's just, it's really crazy. I was just kind of blown away by how nasal breathing affects people. Like, you know, I knew what, I, what we were doing was great. And I, you know, I knew that I was helping people and I knew I was helping people with fatigue, but like, it's just like, I, I, I like want to tell everyone, like, I mean, like you need to be able to breathe through your nose. Like you're like hurting yourself by not breathing through your nose, but just, um, they, during the study when they, they plugged it for 10 days, they had them do kind of the same activities all day. They had, they did all kinds of different lab work and, you know, blood gases and all kinds of stuff. And, um, the one thing that I, you know, which makes sense, but I didn't really put two and two together is when the, the nasal cavity was, was closed for that time, the amount of bacteria that grew like in the nose, like just from not from just having stasis. And, you know, we see that in patients where like just that they have this terrible overgrowth of bacteria because they're not getting the right airflow. And um, so these patients also develop sleep apnea, their snoring went up, um, their energy level went down, their blood pressure went up. I mean, and these are healthy people, people that are like free divers. I mean, it was it was wild. So it's it just really like got me really excited. Um, recently, I mean, I'm always pretty excited, <laughs> but even more excited, like about like, you know, like I really feel so convicted about what we're doing because um, I think sometimes when you go out of the mold, you know, I think that this procedure, even though it's been around for many years, it's still in our space, in our field. Um, a lot of people are can be skeptical because they just don't understand how this can work so well. I don't think until you see it firsthand, you, you know, but like sometimes when you go out of the mold, you um, maybe have doubts. Like, am I, you know, I want to make sure I'm treating my patients, right? I want to make sure I'm up to date. Um, and so when you read something like this to see that we're able to give people better, you know, breathing quality, better quality of life without the risk of general anesthesia and a quicker recovery. I mean, like, I feel like the service we're giving people is like, you know, very unique. And I feel like actually really special to be able to offer it to people. Like, it's been cool to have that mindset shift since when I first started when I was, you know, I felt like I was, you know, breaking out of the mold. Now I really, I, I, I've always had conviction, but really now I'm like, I feel really, really good about what we're doing day to day. It's just, it's, it's very special because not everyone gets to have this experience and be able to offer such a unique thing to patients. Yeah, exactly. The book, the book's incredible too. 
there's a lot of great takeaways. And it's funny because there's a, obviously one of the, the fundamental philosophies that I think most of the physicians have um, in, in, in Breathe Free um, is early intervention. And there was a paper that was done by Claire Hopkins in the Mayo Clinic where they look retrospectively at patients that were treated with chronic sinusitis. This is even with FES. Um, it's not, it's not office-based procedures. It's if you were treated at one year versus two versus three versus four versus five, right? And so they look at, you know, how, how much relief did you get from a, from a SNOT 22 standpoint? Um, how, 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 how many days off of work did you save? You know, how many more days off, how many more days were you at work? And if you were treated at year one versus year five, how many doctor visits were there? How many antibiotics did you take? What did your steroid usage or intake look like? things like that. And then what they found is that patients that were treated at the five-year mark or closer to the end than the one-year mark, so to, to James Nestor's point, was more likely to be depressed, which is an interesting side side yes. note, obviously, because they're, they're more likely to develop sleep apnea, like you said, you know, more likely to develop asthma, things like that. So they're not as productive. They're not sleeping well. So, and obviously, I mean, it's crazy to even believe that the nose could have something to do with like your mental state, like how you're doing. You know, you're not, you're, there's so many things that, that there's so many byproducts. So that, 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 um, experiment where they plugged patients' noses and all of those things happen in 10 days. That's and you wild. Think about that. and, and you probably have patients, that. yeah, you have patients that come in that have been dealing with that for 20 years. I know, so. I know. And I actually got a copy of it and put it in the waiting room and I have so many patients just like flip through it, you know, when they're waiting and they're like, so many of them are like, whoa, I'm, I bought that book on Amazon. It's so interesting. Um, and, you know, when I have patients that come in and they're younger, like in their early 20s or whatever, and they've had issues, I get so excited for them because I'm like, you know, you're like changing your your life because you're you're not allowing your sinuses to get so bad that they're going to remodel and become closed and osteotic. And like, it's just, you know, I'm just so happy for them that they took that proactive stance. Um, you know, it's just I think we're going to learn a lot in the next 15 years about nasal health because I think it's a big topic right now and it's going to continue to be because we've there's just not a lot of research on it. And um, I think we're going to realize that these early interventions are going to be important. And that's where, like, I love the balloon sinuplasty because in traditional sinus surgery, a patient that comes in that has infections and has minimal mucosal thickening, just like three to five millimeters, like that patient, you're not always going to bring to the operating room. So you had nothing to offer them. But now, like with this procedure, like you're able to like give them an option and they do so well. Like and it's it's just nice to have that in your toolbox for sure. But the, the, the one of the kind of things that I would say almost the craziest thing that I would see is just as I was, you know, when I was super involved, when we maybe had like four or five clinics and I got to see I was in there, there a lot. I asked a lot of questions, always trying to learn. And one of the things that I saw was the patients like that, that you treat early on before the disease kind of progresses, they get, I mean, what the data even says, but also from the results anecdotally are you get more relief for a longer amount of time, which makes it's logical, right? But, but to your point, if folks aren't able or aren't willing or weren't trained or just don't offer patients a solution that are in that disease state or in that progression of the disease state, you know, they're going to get to a point where they don't get all of those benefits. And then also you have to do a different technique. So, um, right. It's, it's, it's cool. It's really cool. Um, how, how do you, how do you define success? So that's a tough question. Success, I, like I think is, yeah, it's like success is being able to have the freedom to do things that you love and enjoy. Um, I think that's success, whether that's 
you know, doing a job you love or, you know, doing a job that allows you the financial freedom to be able to do things you love. Um, and then success is also having those meaningful relationships that, um, you know, give you, give you joy, um, whether it's your family or your staff members or people you just meet, you know, like, um, I think that going into every situation and like, you know, taking some good out of it and trying to just be present um, and just live life to the fullest. That's success. I mean, financially, I mean, obviously that's what a lot of people use as a yardstick, but I think um, finances are just a, a vehicle to get the, the freedom that, to do things that you want to do. And that's, I would say success. Um, I don't know. That's a hard question. I think it changes. Like, I mean, as I get older and I have, you know, kids are getting older. I think that that changes. I think making my family proud, that's, you know, success for me and making myself proud. I mean, like, I mean, you know, you go through this whole evolution as a, as a teenager to a college kid, a med student, and then, you know, now going into practice and like, you know, evolving into a person that you're proud of, um, that, you know, you know, does the things that you, you know, that makes you happy. Yeah. I mean, I would say, I think success is, a, is, a, is, is evolving. It's not really, an, it's not an event. You can't achieve it yeah. necessarily, but like to your point, it changes because I mean, you know, maybe what you're working on changes or what's important to you changes, or maybe you have a child or maybe, you know, who knows what happens. Maybe you move across the country. Um, think, think, things change. And, and, and to your point about financial, uh, financial success, I suppose it's almost like it's, 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 a, it's, it's not a requirement of success, but it's something that's kind of there, but you can, you could, you could be happy without it for sure. But you know, yeah. you're, you're, you're able to, you know, do different types of things if, if that, that part goes well. So it's definitely not that only though. And obviously right. when you're little, you might think that's what it is, but as you get older, as you said, and, and wiser, and you know, you have all of these different, you know, other moving parts of your life, it changes, right? right? So, yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, what do you, what's the hardest thing you've ever had to overcome? Oh, <laughs> these are our questions. Um, I kind of think of that I've had a, I haven't had a ton of like serious adversity in my life. I'm feel very blessed to have that. Um, I think that, you know, getting, going through, I don't think this is the worst adversity I've had, but like getting through the medical training process, you know, like having that internal doubt and, you know, changing career paths and going into medicine and, you know, getting into medical school and like listening to myself and not all the naysayers. And then same thing with ENT. Like, I feel like, that's, that's probably, you know, that, that journey for me was a lot of adversity. And I think having children during training was, you know, a lot of adversity. Luckily I have an incredible husband who, you know, was supportive and family that was supportive. So that, that was, that was challenging. Um, but I just, I sometimes feel silly because my adversity is nothing like people have gone through. So I, I don't want to make light of it, but um, I would say just that path to becoming a doctor and not giving up, um, because there were many times I was told that, you know, this will never happen. You'll never get into med school because you're not a traditional student. You'll never be an ENT because you don't have a program at your, you know, at your school. You know, you're never going to get an interview because you don't have a, you know, program or school. And I got 25, you know, it's like, it's, mm -hmm. you know, you just have to keep like pushing. And like, I, I think that's, it's hard because you got to get out into, you know, out of your own head and just like, you know, keep having faith in yourself and, that just, it, it takes a little bit. So, but again, nothing compared to others, but that's probably something I could think of off, off the top of my head. And I, I, I'm, and based on what you just said, I think I know the answer to this question, but do you love to win or hate to lose? 
I love to win. I do. I don't like to lose either, but I'm not like, you know, it doesn't kill me inside. Like I just, I really like winning. Like whether that is, you know, in a game, I'm very competitive (laughs) or if it's just, um, you know, having, you know, good relationships or good outcomes with patients. Like I, I consider that winning. Who's who's more competitive? You or your husband? Uh, Well, so I think he hates to lose. I, you know, I think, so we're both really competitive. Um, I don't know. I think we're probably pretty equal. <laughs> You're playing a board game. Who, who's more likely to flip the board game over if they lose? Oh, him. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. He does not like it. And the, and the best thing is like, we, we both went to different undergrads. So we both are in the SEC conference. So he went to Tennessee. I went to Florida. And ever since we've been together, Tennessee has only won two times. Uh-oh. So, he, he's gotten used to losing lately because, um, you know, Tennessee has not done so well against the Gators. So, and I like to rub that in and I'm happy to document this on a podcast so we can hear it over and over. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to get him and Cody together. Um, oh, I know, a, I know. Cody yeah, played no, at Tennessee. I, yeah, it's, it's fun though. We have a good time. Um, this year the Gators won and we had a great time, but, um, but unfortunately he's like gotten my kids to be Tennessee fans. So I've kind of lost in that. So, you know, I guess he wins there. We'll have to, you should hit up Cody. I'm sure he could maybe get some kind of like sideline pass or whatever. He oh, can that would, oh my God, that'd be connected. amazing. He may be able to. We also have, we also have Sean Jordan who, you know, runs our Richmond clinic. He, he, right. he, he played a little bit of uh college football as well, but he, he coached before he moved from Sacramento to Richmond. And I believe that even in Richmond, he's picked it back up. He coached a bunch of really high level high school prospects. So he has connections at, I mean, all the PAC 12 schools, like he, you know, he can, he, a lot of places now these, whether the players are in the NFL, like I know he coached like Najee Harris for the Pittsburgh Steelers, the running back. Um, he, he has a bunch of connections too, to be able to kind of help, you know, facilitate cool. some cool experiences. Yeah. He, he has a really cool background. If you, you know, if you enjoy and want to talk about college football, you could talk about it all day long because they got to see all different types of players and, you know, what the recruiting process was like and stuff like that. So I'm sure that's so interesting. It's, it's really cool. Even just a little bit that I know about it is cool. Yeah. So, yeah. So definitely maybe link up with Cody and we could find, find a way to get your, your kids some cool experience. That'd be, that'd be definitely awesome. Oh, they'd love it. What's your, um, since you, you love to read, what's your favorite book you've ever read? Um, I like a lot of historical fiction and probably the one that stands out the most is the Nightingale. It's by Kristen Hanna. It's about World War II and these two sisters that are trying to, you know, get through enemy lines. And it's, it's very well written. Um, but, you know, thinking back uh, to high school, The Count of Monte Cristo was a really one that sticks out. Um, that's, you know, somebody I think I read in high school, um, but I had some good teachers. And so they really made me love reading it. I remember when I was in fourth grade, I was like reading Jurassic Park, <laughs> which is crazy. <laughs> I don't know, but it was, I don't know. I just always loved to read. It was always my escape. So um, obviously now with a busy life, it's, it's harder to fit it in. But when I do, when I go on vacation, like I just, that's my favorite thing to do is to read on the beach. Awesome. Um, What does true friendship mean to you? Um, I'm a very loyal person. Um, Loyalty is huge. Um, I think that having someone that is little to you, no matter what shows up, no matter who you are, there's someone that you can be yourself with and them not judge you. Um, and just being kind to each other and understanding. Um, I think no one's perfect. And, you know, if your friend can love you where you're at and be loyal, I think that's, that's true friendship to me. 
Yeah, that's it's important too. I mean, I'm I, as we talked about as you talked about success, you mentioned friendship, you know, and, and those oh, relationships. Yeah, okay. So <laughs> you did you did mention that. I yeah. mean, I, I think that's 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 part of happiness for sure. I mean, you know, folks that don't don't you don't need a lot of friends, but you need you need some good ones. And if if you have those, I think there's a lot of good that comes from that. Whether it's leaning on them when times are tough, or even just having a good time, but just knowing that there's someone that's gonna have your back, maybe even if you're not always doing the right thing, even though obviously we should, but sometimes, you know, you, you may have made the wrong decision or made a mistake, even if it's not, you know, a big mistake, you still have someone there that can support you and help you get through it. So yeah, yeah absolutely. That, that definitely. I appreciate that. And I guess, I don't know, I got a few more questions, but we're at about the hour mark. So I want to give you a little bit of time too. Um, if your best friend was on this podcast, what would they say about you? Oh my gosh. Um, they would say that, <laughs> I don't know. It depends what friend you ask. <laughs> um, my friends have some funny stories about me, but um, I would say that they, one of my, the quotes my friends used to say is, um, there, Mariah goes, a nomad just wandering through life. Not in a bad way. Just like, I just kind of like get into situations and I just kind of embrace it and go with it. Um, I always try to have fun. Um, but yeah, they probably say I'm fun loving and, um, very driven and, um, those are probably the two things they describe me, uh, as, and, oh, oh, what did someone call me there? night? it was so funny. Um, a party starter or something like that, a party favor, a party favor. They're like, you know, some people like are just really fun and they're like party favors. Cause they, you know, when you get with them, you just want to have fun and like, you know, whatever. So they call me a party favor. I thought that was funny. So. I never heard that term before. I've never heard anyone, <laughs> any human being be referred to as a party favor, but I can I see that. I haven't either that's until funny. my that's friend. So funny. And she's very hip. So maybe, you know, that's what all the young people are talking about. I don't is know. That the new, <laughs> that, that's the new term? I you've don't ever know. Seen, uh, have you ever, I'm sure you've seen Mean Girls before. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So it's like it's like fetch then. Yeah, yeah. Remember? It's like it's fetch. And she's like, that's never going to happen. So yeah. I don't know. We'll see, we'll see if party <laughs> favor happens, I suppose. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> all right. Well, um. I appreciate all those, uh, all, all your candid answers. Um, is there any questions that you that you thought I might ask you or wish that 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 or wanted me to ask you? No, not necessarily. I think this has been really fun. Like I've never done a podcast before, so this is just cool to be able to kind of share, you know, how things are feeling. Because you know, it's I don't know a day to day. Like I'm really happy and I have such, you know, great interactions with people and stuff, but it's just great to kind of talk about it because, um, it's a, such a big part of my life, you know? And so I just, I'm really grateful the way things worked out. I would have never told you five years ago or six, I guess it's almost seven since I left residency that this is where I'd be. Um, I never thought I'd be in my own practice. I never thought I'd be doing this, but, um, I was telling a patient today, it feels really good to be like, you know, an expert at something. Like, I feel like I'm, you know, I'm an expert. Like I'm able to like help you. I can, you can come to me with this problem and I can, I can help you. Like it's, it's a good feeling. And, um, it's just, it's kind of cool to have that evolution over the last few years and, and end up where I am. So I want to thank you and Mark for that because, um, it's just really, it's really cool how things worked out. It really is. It, it makes me happy. It's, yeah. It's our job to, to put the wall, to build the walls around the office and, put the things in the rooms, but I mean, you guys are making it happen. So, you know, th that's a testament to your guys' hard work and, and dedication over the past, you know, a little bit longer than a year, obviously it was a little challenging in the beginning with, with the yes. construction and stuff, but you know, yeah. that's something for another time, I suppose. Um, do you have any, do you have any questions for me? Uh, what drives you? 
you know, that's, that's a tough question. Um, it used to be, you know, I wanted to, I, I didn't, I don't want to say I came from a bad, I don't want a, a bad, like a, a, a difficult, you know, upbringing, things like that. I, I'm from a single mom, you know, my dad wasn't really around at all. Um, and so, and, and my brother, you know, being a few years younger than me. So now it's me with a younger brother, single mom, you know, it's a little bit tough. There, there wasn't really any role models around and things like that. So, um, you know, from a, from a male standpoint, right. You know, and I love sports. So, so, you know, my mom was kind enough to take me to all my games and things, but you just, it's just kind of, I don't want to say it's in you or it's not, but I think like, I, I wouldn't, and, and I'm not, if, if I was the subject of this podcast, we could do a whole podcast on, you know, the, the, what I just said, and I could talk through that and kind of explain it, but, um, and it would get super, you know, emotional and deep, but, you know, um, when you've been through that kind of thing, like, and, and, and there's been some tough situations, like, and then you, then you fast forward and there's adversity at work, right. Or there's, if something's hard, I'm gonna have to work really hard today. It's just not, I don't want to say it's not that hard, but it's just kind of how I'm built now. Right. You just right. kind of figure it out. You know, there's certain people that figure it out, like, you know, that, that something's broken and, and they're going to figure out a way to fix it or make it work. So I, I think the, the motivation used to be to, to, be successful enough to be relatively free, but that's not really it anymore. I really enjoy helping people and watching people, you know, watching people's lives change, what lives change, whether it's, you know, hearing stories like you told about, you know, about the patient with the ethmoidectomy um, or anything like that. There's a lot, obviously those happen all day long, every day at, at our clinics, but just even the, the folks in the offices that, that have an opportunity to have a job they didn't think they would have, or maybe take, their mom or their family on a vacation somewhere or buy a present for someone they didn't think they could do, or maybe learn something they didn't think they would learn. Like that's, that's really cool to me. So I'm, I'm super gracious that I'm in a position now where I can see that on a daily basis, you know, creating jobs for people, the amount of people that we have who have a family member that work, whether it's in our offices or in one of our remote positions, like there's, there's some, that, I mean, I don't want to say it's every week, but there's a time where it's like, Oh, I didn't know their cousin worked for us. You know, so cool. Yeah. Um, that is awesome. I, I love that. So that that's yeah, super important to me. That. Yeah. When your family is there too, like when the family comes along, it just shows that you got a good thing going on. So yeah, that's, that's it, awesome. it shows that the people that, that, that brought them definitely care. Cause obviously you go to work, you should have a good attitude. Maybe you're super happy. Maybe you're just saying the right things, but the proof is available. Like, you know, the hardest thing to get anyone to do about a medical practice or a restaurant is the hardest thing to, to get is like a, a word of mouth referral, right? Maybe you do right. something where it's not great. And they're like, definitely don't go there. Maybe you do something that's middle of the road. And you're like, okay, they're okay. But it's, you know, the, the, the procedure patient that immediately starts breathing better, breathing better, that tells every person they know about it. Right. So, yeah. and, and from an employee referral standpoint, if you're referring a family member, that's, I'd say the equivalent. So that means we're, we're doing something special as a group. If we get, if we're getting, if, we're, if that's happening fairly often. So. Yeah, for sure. So who's your favorite athlete? Oh, that's, that's an easy question. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. So, you know, I, I have a, a few different answers. I mean, the, my favorite, my favorite, it's, it's not even close, you but one. you have to pick one. Come on. Yeah, uh, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. Okay. So I don't know if you're, if you're, do either your sons are either your yeah, sons soccer fans soccer. at all. They have, his they have both all the jerseys. Yeah. So they do. So one of the questions I was going to ask you that I did, and then I'll explain why, um, I'll answer your question is, is Messi or Ronaldo and answer it how you would have answered if I didn't answer this question yet. Um, so 
I, I think Ronaldo, because I think Messi kind of sold out a little bit coming to Miami. I think he did the right thing for his family and like his legacy, but I think, you know, I don't know. So Ronaldo, that's my reasoning though. Okay. But so I got to be shocked off. So that's yeah. just my, you know, pop culture reason. Yeah. So, the, so, so Ronaldo is not as talented as Messi naturally. He's just not, but he has a work ethic like you, like you've never seen. I mean, he's 38 now and he's, you know, he's still performing at a high level and, and he's not in a top five European league. He's in Saudi Arabia, but I mean, it's, you know, you could stick an MLS team in there and they'd get punted out of there in a second. Right. So the, the, there's actually really good players there and he's yeah. performing at a high level. I mean, they just showed a video of him like last week after a game. I mean, he's 38 years old. He's in the gym two hours after a match working oh out he's by himself. It's like security footage and somehow it got leaked. Right. So he's just. He's just, that's just how he is. He works so hard. Like, I mean, anything that you read about him, like, you know, it's, it's the guy, the guy has like this weird regiment where he wakes up, eats, works out, naps, wakes up, eats, works out, naps. So it's like super regimented for him to be able to be in that shape at the age of 38 playing. I mean, he's played, there was a month, I think two months ago, one player of the month there. And he had played more matches in a 30 day span than any, and then, than any other time in his entire career at 38. That's awesome. And, and, at thir- and most folks retire. Like, I think Messi's 35 or maybe just turned 36. And he's essentially retired. I mean, he's playing yeah. MLS against guys that were playing at BYU last year, playing at, you know, <laughs> yeah. right? Come on. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, like yeah. literally, I remember there was a match that he had where he scored some kind of goal and everyone was, like, hyping him up. And, like, the, the two defenders were 22 years old, which doesn't mean they're bad because they could be really good. But they both had played in college the year before. And, like, there's yeah. probably, like – that the third or fourth level teams in Europe would destroy college teams. So it's just, I don't know. So he's, he's just my favorite also from like a, he's just the way he's so meticulous and he's detail oriented and, you know, he's, 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 you know, he's just all of the things that, that, that I, I just, you know, I admire some people that are able to achieve people that are able to work hard and people that don't give up. Like this guy's going to be in tip top shape you know, probably forever, but he's going to play a long time, sort of like Tom Brady, right? I mean, Tom right. Brady, I saw him get interviewed at the vault conference, at Patrick David's vault conference, like three weeks ago. And he was asking him like, hey, why did you, when you left New England and went to Tampa, right? You already had six championships, right? Which is how many Belichick has, because they want them together and how many Jordan has. And he goes, did you want to win the seventh because of Belichick or because of Jordan? And, and Tom's like, you know, not giving all the answers, but he just kind of said, Hey, I told myself when I was 32, I started changing the way I ate. I tried, I changed the way I approached my diet and all of these things, which he outlines in his book, right? Some guy right. stands up and, and asks a question or something like that. And he's like, read the book, dude. You know, that's why I wrote it. Right. But, um, <laughs> he felt better at 35 than 30. So he said to himself, I'm going to play till I'm 45. And he did, oh, okay. which, which is crazy because I mean, 45 in football. That's I mean, crazy. As a quarterback, you're just like a, yeah. you're, you know, you're a, sta- uh, you're a target, yeah. For, you know, to get ran over on every play. So, and, and soccer's one of those sports where generally the prime would run out if someone's like, when they're late twenties, early thirties, just because it's so young and so athletic, and you run miles and miles every match, you know. So somehow he's 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 been able also. And that's the really probably the best reason he's the goat is when he was younger, he was fast. Not that he's not fast. He's still fast, but he played a different game than he played. And as he got older and obviously like he's still in great shape, but you're, you know, father times father time. Right. So he starts to deteriorate 
and he changed his game and he, he changed his position and he became, you know, this, this prolific goal scorer that he wasn't when he was younger and everyone will compare Ronaldo's goals and Messi's goals at the age of 35. But Ronaldo's first, like, I mean, all his years at Manchester United, he, he, he played as a, as a, um, as a midfielder. And that's essentially like the point guard passing the ball to the shooting guard, the shooting guard scores, you know, you're, you're, you're facilitating through the middle. And so he, he won a Ballon d'Or, which is the part, like the, essentially you're the MVP of the, the planet of soccer yeah. as a midfielder, right? He won one as a midfielder and all the other ones he run as one as a striker. So he was playing midfielder for a while in his career. So he didn't score a lot of goals and they were trying to use that against him. But he also was the MVP of soccer at two different positions, which is, it's not like basketball where it kind of, it's fluid. It right. is a little bit yeah. to an extent in soccer, but you know, he, he, he was able to change his game and make himself still relevant super relevant at the age that Messi's at now he was playing in Italy in, in, in champions league scoring hat tricks and knockout matchups where his team was down two goals to nil going in and he scores all three goals and Messi's running around in Miami against the guy that, you know, literally is, you know, playing at university of Texas <laughs> last year. Right. right. I, I could go, I could go on for 25 I, I minutes about this. It's I'm going to let, let it go. I mean, I could go on and on and on and on, but he also, he also has, he also has, more i want to say, i say it he has i think it's he has i mean he has way more headed goals and weak footed goals than messi i think he has more like it's some he has some crazy stats about outside the box which means long scoring with his weak foot which messi's weak foot isn't any good um his left foot's great but his right foot's terrible and ronaldo's i mean he's he scored 100 goals with his head his left foot and his right foot it's crazy I mean, messi's not doing that but anyway yeah. well I he has that all, question. i think love that, that that's question. like I mean, that's such a good thing. Like all these players evolve and like, it's just kind of like us in life. You just got to kind of, you know, see what's happening and, you know, change your plan. You can't always be stuck in a rut and doing the same thing because a lot of times you just get left behind. And so I think that's, I love sports. Like I love that my boys love sports because they just, you know, you learn so many life lessons from it. It's just, it's um, such a great thing to watch and to learn from. They play basketball. Um, my oldest does. Yeah, they both do. But um, yeah, Bryce is about to start. Um, so he's he's um, he loves basketball, um, but he loves football, too. So I don't know. We'll see what he wants to do. I want him to do basketball because less injuries. But <laughs> yeah, but so, so Jordan, Jordan or LeBron, then one more question. OK, um, so Jordan, I mean, like it's the kind of same same thing you said about Ronaldo, like Jordan just had that intensity all the time. Like LeBron's like probably technically better, maybe. I mean, I don't know. I had to look at stats. I'm just saying in general, he's got. He's, he's more, more talented for sure. More talented. He's got more talent than anyone. Oh my gosh. But Jordan, like he just brought so much every day, so much intensity, so much like grit. So, and he never let up. Like he just was like, I don't know. It was in, so, I, I mean, I was young obviously when he was playing, but I mean, seeing highlights and seeing his life story. And, you know, I think he's been through, he went through a very, he had a very adverse life, like for being a very successful athlete. I mean, with the loss of his father and like, you know, this, he kind of failed in baseball. I mean, I don't want to say that loud, but it kind of true. Like, I mean, he, he didn't really just have this easy road and he just always gave it his, gave it his best. And um, he just got, he has that, that um, it factor. I don't know. LeBron has it too, to a certain extent, but I think he, it's more created by media. Jordan just had it. He just, he just, I don't know. So what do you think? I mean, it's not even close. Um, you know, the, the thing that differentiates him, LeBron's more talented. He's bigger. He's stronger. He's probably, I don't, I don't remember. He's probably faster, you know? Um, but Jordan just, he, he was, he had something like LeBron's developed a little bit of a killer instinct over time. 
Jordan had that from the beginning. Yeah. You know, he was going to go in like, so look, like it's just the mentality of them today too. Like Jordan, Jordan's not helping you. Jordan's not practicing. I mean, LeBron hangs out with like Draymond Green and Steph Curry and whoever else. And they work out together on the, in the off season, which is great. But Jordan would have been like, get out of here. I'm not helping you with anything. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not helping you at all. <laughs> so yeah. I'm going to beat you. I'm here to beat you. I'm not here to, to be your friend. Right. Um, so that's, that's, that's one thing that differentiates them to me is just that, that killer instinct in the big moment. And, and in the beginning of LeBron's career, he would defer and pass, you know, and do all these types of things, which even if it's the right basketball play, which is what the media would say, you made the right basketball play. Yeah. But he's passing it to somebody that, you know, I don't know he should be taking the last shot. Let's figure it out. And I'm not saying take a bad shot, but when you consistently defer and then throughout his career, as he evolved, he, 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 that, that sort of changed. And he built that ability to do that. But had he had, like if his, if his mindset was the way it was or it is now like 15 years ago, his career would probably look different. Cause I mean, 2011, yeah. now I'm going to get super geeky. You know, the, 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 the Dallas Mavericks championship, that Dirk Nowitzki won by himself against Chris Bosh, LeBron James, and Dwayne Wade might be the greatest NBA championship of all time because there's three Hall of Famers. Dirk's going against by himself with, with you know, Jason the Jet Terry, right, who shouldn't be your number two player on the team, and you beat a team that the Heat built to win championships. I said, not by yourself, but because you're it's a team sport. But, right. I mean, he didn't have another Hall of Famer, you know? So, I mean – LeBron lost that championship. Jordan wins. Jordan sweeps that finals, right? So yeah. he just does, especially with D Wade and, and Chris Bosh. And especially that was and what everyone's going to forget going into that is D Wade was arguably the best player in the NBA before LeBron went there. So now there's two of them and you still right. lost to right. a team that, yep. and I love Dirk and I love Mark Cuban. So I, I, it's great that that happened. I mean, I remember where I was standing in the, the bar that I was watching it in Clarendon, which is like right outside DC in Northern Virginia watching this thinking there's no way this is actually going to happen and it did so i'll go I'll, I'll go i'll go jordan and then i'll say one more ronaldo point before i you know for anyone that's still listening um before <laughs> I, before, so I can so i can so i can you know stop talking about this but that's one thing about ronaldo that i love is that he doesn't give up you know he's literally looking at his teammates when there's like three minutes left saying like pick your head up like we're yeah. gonna win this you have to have faith you have to have belief anything's possible he actually doesn't say that. he says nothing is impossible, you know, have faith, have belief, you know, just believe in yourself. Like we have time, this can happen, you know, not like, and that, and that Messi doesn't have that in him. Like yeah. I can, I can talk about five incredible matches, um, um, that Ronaldo's had where, where he probably shouldn't have won. And we're talking like all time career matches. Messi doesn't have one. Like he can get a goal. He can get a penalty kick in a final. Like he can do well in like a, a zero zero, but when he's down, He's not having a hat trick or doing something huge when his team needs it the most. He actually folds most of the time historically in, in a big match. When he most of his success has come um, in the, at the club level for Barcelona in the league, which it's kind of like in soccer, it's the regular season. So it's whoever finishes his regular season on top because there's not a tournament. So the regular season. So if you finish, you know, thirteen and you know four in the NFC South and you win the NFC South. Essentially, you have the best record in the NFL, then you win the Super Bowl. There isn't a, a tournament. And the club tournament is against other countries' teams. And in the last, like, nine, eight or nine, seven or eight years he was in it, I mean, his team would have a 2 nothing lead going into the match in, like, a quarterfinal or 3 nothing lead at home, and, they, and they'd lose. Which, I mean, if you're up 3 nothing in a soccer match, like, I mean, you might as well not yeah. even run past 
midfield and you can just all stay back and play defense and they still lose. So, and Ronaldo's never letting his team do that. So I think that's a good way to end this. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Never give up. No, that's it. I mean, you can't, I mean, obviously you just can't, I mean, it's just not going to work long-term. If there, is there anything, anything else you want to ask? If not, we can, we can wrap it up. I think the only thing I want to add is just, I am a big gratitude person. I know we learned about that at our last conference. Um, just, I have a lot of gratitude for my family for supporting me. I have a huge amount of gratitude for my staff here in Tampa. Like we have just the best team. Everyone works so hard. So awesome. Just great attitudes. Like they make my day and patients stay so much better and a lot of gratitude for you and breathe free just for, you know, giving this opportunity to me to, you know, help me understand that medicine and being in, uh, you know, a minimally invasive sinus surgery can be great and you can help a lot of people and, um, enjoy it in the meantime. Well, so no. thank you. Appreciate thank it. You. Thank you. Well, I have a, a lot of gratitude for you and what you've done as well. I mean, you've, you've, you know, you, you, you've shown us too, that it can, that it can be even more fun than we thought. And on top of that, I mean, you're, you're a great clinician. You have great patient reviews, nothing, any, I've never heard anyone ever say anything bad about you. And you're doing all this while doing what you're best, you know, what you're doing, what you do best and dealing with the stresses of, you know, the transition. And obviously now it's probably a little bit easier, but you've just done an awesome job through the transition. And I'm, I'm really grateful for you as well. Thank you. Thank you. Um, also, um, guys, thank you for um, listening to the show today. Dr. Pate, thank you for coming on. And you can find Mariah Pate on Instagram at Tampa Bay Breathe Free. You can see some of the cool content. She's you know, been interviewed a few times. There's actually, um, I should have mentioned, there's an interview that was recently done, I think on the morning, uh, one of the morning TV programs in Tampa with um, Kevin Harrington, who was on actually, he's one of the first uh, investors of my favorite show on Shark Tank. So I saw him immediately. I was like, wow, okay, that's cool. I didn't know, I didn't see that coming. So give that a watch at Tampa Bay Breathe Free on Instagram. Um, Dr. Pate, appreciate your time and insight you've given me and all the listeners. And that's a wrap for another episode of the Breathe Free podcast. Thanks everyone for listening. Leave us some reviews, please leave us some reviews. Let us know what you're thinking and we'll catch everyone on the next one. Thank you, Dr. Pate. Thank you.